Welcome to the Old Galway Diary Podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Tom, good morning. And a lot has happened since we spoke. Uh, a, a serious situation in Europe. Um, yeah. Those wonderful Ukrainian people, I really admire them, the way they have made this stand. And yes. their, their brilliant president uh, really is a man to be admired, even though he was almost elected as a joke, because he was a comedian playing the a part. Jewish comedian. I know. Yeah, playing <laughs> yes. the, I know. Yes, probably lots yeah. of Jewish humor. I'm sure was shared at his yeah. election, a genuine election then as president yeah. of the country. But golly, he has shown metal, and oh, yeah. uh, he's walking through the capital taking selfies with, you know, buildings people would recognize behind him saying, you know, I am staying here because we stand for truth. I must say I was very, very impressed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The other thing yeah. I listened to with interest this morning was Germany, the awakening of the German giant. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Uh, I think that was something Putin did not uh, imagine that. And, you know, realized yeah. that that could happen. You know, the old enemies between Germany and Russia, uh, I hope it doesn't come to that, but golly, you yeah, wake yeah. Germany at your peril, I suggest. <laughs> well, I think um, Germany was probably feeling very guilty at having done virtually nothing. In fact, yeah. being yeah. quite negative, really. Yeah. And uh, I agree. I am glad it has happened, really, because yes. I think... What is now happening is that, like, I think Russia was playing on the fact that the EU may have been quite divided. Indeed. But it doesn't appear to be at all now. Yes, exactly. It has brought us together. And I think Ireland, you know, we, we have this funny attitude to neutrality, which I understand. But I think we need a grown-up conversation about what we mean by neutrality. Are we going to let other people protect us? Or are we genuinely going to take our place in Europe, you know, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. do what is required in these extreme situations but yes but it could be a big turning point for us all tom and uh we'll watch yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's going to be i'm fairly yeah. sure yeah yeah but in the meantime <laughs> well it's a long way from that uh, i know that i'm writing about go this on week. tell me tell me yeah i'm writing about a group that was set up in the very late 1920s right. in galway called the penny dinners committee Oh, no. And uh, these were a group of men and women who voluntarily gave up of their time to provide a free, well, a dinner. They were known as penny dinners, but in fact, that was a complete misnomer. Not only did the dinner uh, <coughs> cost a penny, it cost a lot more than that, but also uh, none of the children who availed of these meals were, in fact, in a position to pay a penny anyway. But this was just the, the name given to the committee. And they cooked dinner four days a week 
for uh, between 40 and 80 children each time. These were children of the poor. Uh, and this was obviously a pretty vital uh, <clears throat> addition to their food intake yes. every week. Yes. Uh, it was a time of deep depression and recession, of course. And uh, so they did it by <clears throat> getting donations from the people of Galway. They seemed to have been based in the Columban Hall. Uh, and the Jesuits were active in this as well. Uh, but the main way that they gathered money was they organized concerts, plays, reviews, that kind of thing. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, the first one of these was put on in the town hall. It was a play called The West's Awake, <laughs> and that was in 1929. Uh, they had to pay four pounds per night for the town hall. So I think from then on, uh, all of their productions went on in the Columban Hall, where I there was probably no charge. And they did all kinds of plays, which we've never heard of, to tell you the truth. The Bishop's Candlesticks, Rory Aforsaid, The yeah. Resurrection of Dinny O'Dowd, uh, <laughs> plays like that. Amateur productions, but uh, at a time when there weren't very many things on stage here, uh, these received kind of very elongated reviews in, in the local press. Uh, these productions were a revelation from the point of view of artistic merit. Uh, wonderful words like that. Beautiful settings, lovely costumes and good lighting raised the standard of the production above that of the general amateur performance. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, oh, yeah, there were, there was, and I, uh, so obviously, these were people who did a lot of very, very good work for the poor, but had fun doing it as well. Obviously, yes. enjoyed doing exactly. it. Exactly. Now, they did other things <clears throat> as well. They had sales of work, bridge drives, uh, dances in the pavilion, as it was called, in the hangar, uh, where Des Fretwell provided the music, and the fee was there for the hangar. It was a fiver a night. But obviously, they made money on it. Anyway, it was a Mrs. Geraldine Dillon and a Mrs. Bodkin Mahan who directed most of the shows. Uh, this was at a time when the newspapers didn't seem to want to use <coughs> people's Christian names. So I can tell you that the orchestra was usually Mrs. B. Smith on piano, Mrs. Wallace on cello, Miss Grealish on violin, Mr. Jones on violin, and Mrs. Margaret's on the xylophone. I bet they were and, great. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I bet they were too. And yeah, yeah <clears throat> like the there were ballet group, a ballet group. These were the pupils of Miss Hardiman. Right. And uh, there were Irish dancers, Moira de Bucca, Maureen Tuhl, and Maureen Nunnema. And uh, again, among the soloists, the singers were Miss M. Broderick, Miss Bridie Folan. <laughs> Mr. Henry St. John Blake, Paddy Tierney, and Kathleen O'Flynn. And, uh, you know, some of the songs, now this would really take you back. <clears throat> some of the songs that they would have listened to were When I Grow Too Old to Dream, oh I have you to remember. Tom, your talent is wasted. Waste. Oh, without question, yes. in happy yeah. moments, day by day, on a bicycle made for two, and of course, yeah. the word the rousing ones like Torridor now, go oh, yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah. Yes, let me like a soldier fall, etc., etc. <laughs> so I can imagine <laughs> the the <laughs> audience in oh, the, they'd uh, love it. Yeah, in the Columban Hall, swaying as they're all mm. joining in yeah. on when yeah. I grow too old to dream. I know. I know. So what I have uh, this week are two photographs of two groups, obviously for different productions. Uh, but there are some well-known names and recognizable names on them, a lot of them, in fact. Uh, people like Jimmy Cranny, Des Mahoney, whose brother Cyril was the great Tyverk actor, Fintan Coogan, uh, Una Taff, Mary Arthurs, Michael Horden, a very young Michael Horden, who went on to become a, a major actor in many, many amateur productions in this city. And so this is a little tribute to them this week, okay. uh, as yeah. I say. People who did terrific voluntary work and just enjoyed doing it. <laughs> well, there's two things there that I like particularly. I love the way that you can mention the names. Names are terribly important. And of course, their descendants and families are very much alive today. And they'll be t oh, yes. looking at the article with interest and saying, oh, my goodness, that's my grandmother or my aunt or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, Tom, this was pre-television times. So a night exactly. out like that with Sing Song uh, was most pleasurable. And uh, yeah. I can imagine the fun of it all. And uh, certainly singing the songs, maybe on their way home uh, in groups. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had a lovely nice. night. yeah. Yeah. Now, this, th this happened just before the formation of Our Ladies Boys Club and Our Ladies Girls Club. And <clears throat> which both were set up in yes. Columban Hall as well, again with the Jesuit influence. But in those very early days, the boys' club nights, like they played games and had quizzes and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But their night always finished with a mug of tea and a thick slice of bread and jam. Now, that doesn't sound like anything, but it was a hugely important supplement to their weekly diet. Yeah. in those days. So I can imagine how significant and important these penny dinners were to the recipients and their families. I bet. It must have yes. been, it must have, yeah, it must have been yeah. kind of manna from heaven, really. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. That's great. That's, that really is good. Well, there are a lot yeah, of... You have to pardon <clears throat> my singing at this hour of the morning. No, 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 Tom. It's impressive. It's impressive. But um, no, I'd, I'd just keep at it if I were you. You never know. You never know. But um, no, there was a lot of uh, charity organizations in Galway at the time. There was a lot of poverty, of course, and a lot of illness because of poverty. And uh, 1920s, good Lord, the Irish state was just just about getting on its getting off its knees, just barely standing on its own two exactly. feet. Um, and then it had the civil war and then this awful readjustment afterwards and what a difficult time it was. It's amazing that in those short century we, we've done so well. It really is. Here we are, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. speaking in the United Nations, you know, on behalf of the poor people of Ukraine. I think it's just wonderful what we've done. But Tom, really, I appreciate that. I look forward to reading it. Um, and looking at the pictures particularly. But now, just from my own point of view, I thought I was finished with the smallpox epidemic in Athenry, and I finished off last week not saying what's going to happen next week. But of course, people got in touch with me, and somebody said I should look at Anne Walsh, uh, 
an article she wrote in the Archaeological and Historical Journal, which I wasn't aware of, volume 48. Anne Walsh was, at the time of writing her article, was a librarian at Trinity College, and obviously she got caught into this. And uh, I was interested to read her article, and I just felt there was one more week in it is on, on really how Athman Rai recovered from this terrible visitation of this yeah. most dreaded disease, smallpox. And and um, emphasizes much more than I did the sanitary conditions in Athan Rai at the time. And uh, the public sa- sanitary conditions in Athan Rai were regarded as a disgrace and were not conducive to a healthy environment where the epidemic of smallpox erupted and where it thrived in the spring of 1875. Now, Dr. Leonard, whom I've spoken of um, very effusely for his wonderful work as the dispensary doctor, uh, he complained uh, at the inefficiency of the sanitary authority, and he lamented that Athenry continues to be, and I quote, continues to be a filthy place for its size it is populous, and by the convenience of railway tracks is a large centre of communication, and how right he was. This was before the outbreak was noted. Now, Dr. Brody, uh, who I've also talked about for the three weeks, he's the Galway local government inspector um, who works ceaseless, ceaseless, ceaselessly sorry, with the Athenry dispensary doctor, Dr. Leonard, in their efforts to contain the outbreak and which between the months of March and July had affected more than 141 people. I haven't been able to verify those figures because I haven't found them noted anywhere, not even in Anne Walsh's article. But from June onwards, in a series of detailed reports to the local government board in Dublin, Brody endeavours to reassure it that the crisis now was passing and that newspapers had exaggerated the state of civic unrest. Now, reading these reports again, I'm under, I'm beginning to appreciate there's a kind of, a, a, you know, the um, local government board have been very critical, perhaps of Brody, perhaps the way the disease was tackled. And so Brody is a bit on the defensive, you know, he's a civil servant as yeah, well. Yeah. So he's trying to make the best of things. And uh, so if you can read between the lines, uh, which I was enjoying reading, he is doing he's doing a good job. <laughs> but anyway, he is right to be if this is more or less when in July, June and July, when things were coming to an end, there were no new cases in July. But um, Brody is effusive, obviously, in his compliments to Dr. Leonard, who, quote, performed his onerous and responsible duties during this trying ordeal with care and attention to the sick poor under his charge and a self-denial of comfort of any sort of pleasure or relaxation on his own part, joined to the fact that Dr. Leonard, in his domestic affairs, I have referred to this actually, had endured his own share of trouble and loss in the case of a member of his family who had been for weeks suffering from the disease contracted, it is supposed, through he attending sick patients himself with smallpox, and sadly he brought the disease home to his own house. But anyway, 
there was a lot of sensational news going around the place, and Brody is anxious to calm things down, particularly from the Irish Times, it appears. Uh, you know, the, the Irish Times, uh, I haven't been able to find the article, but I have letters uh, that appear to the Irish Times that kind of emphasize, you know, the extreme danger and fear that people were under. But anyway, uh, the Irish Times, uh, he's, Brody says that really now, Come on, the Irish Times have exaggerated it. Um, it is reported, um, and this is Brody saying, that well-to-do inhabitants left Athenry as if it was a plague-stricken spot and where they chanced to take up their temporary abode, where when people heard they came from Athenry, they drove them back to Athenry and said, no, you can't stay here because they were afraid of the disease coming you know, with the, with the people fleeing the town. And th this blockade, if you like, was, or this censorship was so severe, it acted really as a blockade to keep people in the town of Athenry. Now, I have found that no place else but in Brodie's trying to reassure the board um, that there never was such alarming behavior, he says. Uh, he's always careful to play down extreme behavior, such as the riot in Lapre. You'd never refer to that, really. And the burning of the hospital van, Brody didn't really refer to that, just briefly in passing. Um, anyway, he denies that Athenry was ever in such a desperate strait as to drive its uh, residents back into the town. He claimed that such, quote, sensational news, which have been from time to time sent to the public papers in the form of letters from known and unknown correspondents exaggerate and distort the fact for their own purposes. Another quote, the result causes unnecessary alarm and terror in the minds of the people at a distance and are affecting the trades of the town. Now he goes on to deny further um, it, it, uh, references in the Irish Times. As regards, he says, the alleged distress reported amongst the labouring classes, Brodie agreed that the farmers had objected to hire labourers from Athenry, but had no hesitation in hiring labourers from their own immediate neighbourhood. Quote, in a short time, it is expected that the Board of Guardians will commence sewage works in Athenry, and this in itself will give local employment. Moreover, the relieving officer, he's the person that went around and looked after the poor, uh, has been instructed to fully and amply exercise his powers by issuing provisional relief in every case of sudden and urgent necessity. And another quote, at a meeting of the Board of Guardians last Saturday, 159 individuals appeared in his books having been relieved. Then he goes on to say that... Um, Money is not a problem because, in fact, um, a fund has been uh, formed by charitable ladies and already has over £100 uh, in, in its uh, bank to distribute among the people. Dr. Brody felt that there was little in any truth in the rumour that poor people will have to resort to extreme measures hinted at by a special correspondent. He does not elaborate what these extreme measures were, Tom, or who had threatened them. But obviously, some threats were made and the authorities in Dublin were concerned. In conclusion, Brody says, 
I may be permitted to observe that smallpox, even in its mildest form, is a disease to be feared and dreaded. And in this instance, coming as it did suddenly and unexpectedly, and to a great extent unprepared for the effects of its visitation, still, that no time was lost in taking measures to combat its ravages and use all legitimate means to isolate the cases. So writing in June 14, 1875, Brody hoped that the worst now was over and that in the future, he would be sending more cheering and satisfactory reports <laughs> and that he would soon be able to announce that the present epidemic, like other epidemics, will have disappeared altogether from Athenry and its neighborhood. Now, he, <laughs> Brody was an intelligent man and he couldn't resist a little dig. And he gets this <laughs> in at the end of his report because uh, uh, the board's oftentimes are quite censorious of him and, you know, and he works so hard. But he concludes his main report by saying, the mortality rate in Athen Rye has not been greater on this occasion than in Dublin, where he intimated throughout the 19th century was a succession of appalling epidemics of typhus, cholera and smallpox, which had wiped out thousands of the poor deserted poor people in the city. So he kind of ended with that little dig. But just it's finally, yeah, I know, I was so glad he did because he was just a wonderful man. Anyway, um, Anne Walsh makes her own conclusion. And uh, she says that, you know, yes, questions should be asked as to why the outbreak of smallpox pressure was not brought to bear on the authorities to ensure that Athenry did not lag to the point of disaster, providing cleansing, drainage, and other health services. And she goes on, despite the devastating effect of the smallpox epidemic in Athenry community, life returned to normal soon after the disease had passed. The epidemic, although violent, occurred only once and produced a single shock, which apparently was quickly forgotten. Families in the parish rallied round each other, and operated as a powerful support mechanism in the community. Roman Catholic marriages in Athenry Parish dropped significantly in 1875, not surprisingly, indicating the lack of confidence in the community associated with a fear, indeed, people, couples afraid to plan ahead. But the already declining baptism numbers also decreased in 1875. However, the following year, the marriage figures rose dramatically, indicating confidence was restored in the community and the baptism numbers uh, correspondingly recovered again in, by 1877. In the short term, Anne writes, the outbreak of smallpox drew attention to the overcrowded and insanitary living conditions and produced a campaign of cleansing and disinfecting uh, infected premises and their surrounds. Dr. Leonard, the dispensary medical officer, emerges as the hero during this epidemic. The evidence portrays the doctor as devoted and capable of working day and night, not concerned about the material gain and capable of dealing with any emergency. He was a friend of all classes, ready to provide treatment and advice on medical and personal problems. Again, to conclude, uh, Anne Walsh believed that it is more difficult 
to ascertain the impact of the epidemic on the long term. The medical system in force did not improve or alter to any measurable extent, and the sanitary systems were not expedited in the district as a result of the outbreak. The power and efficiency of the Board of Guardians must be questioned, she says, especially with regard to their handling of the Iron Hospital contract and their proposed sewage system. In 1876, the Board of Guardians of the Lockray Union only succeeded in securing a loan of £200 from the Commissioners of Public Works to sink a well and try and improve the sanitary conditions. So you can imagine, despite the outbreak, Tom, they were still reluctant to spend money. So £200. However, the disease in the community, and concludes finally, uh, was successfully contained within a relatively short period of time. After four months, the worst of the epidemic had passed, and by late June 1875, the disease had assumed a milder form. A marked decline in the number of cases was evident, and by the 1st of October, all patients had been discharged from hospital. The combined efforts of the medical officer, the board of guardians, the local community ensured that the epidemic did not continue to rage out of control and ceased without recurrence. And you really, you couldn't get a better outcome than that. No, no. You know, compared to yeah. densely populated areas like Dublin, the big tenements and things like that, of course. Yeah. Dreadful. And yeah. I've got a photograph this week, which is reasonably interesting. This is of the grave monument over Father John Walsh. I don't know if you remember at the very beginning, the first poor man who, who caught it was brought home to his house in Tai Quinn. And he yeah. died there and they sent for the priest, a young man, Father John Walsh, and he went out to give him the last sacraments and the poor priest got a smallpox and, yeah. Yeah, and died. So I have a photograph of that and a little um, quote from the Galway Vindicator uh, when the uh, monument was resurrected. And just the quote is uh, under the name of Father John Walsh, quote from the Colway Vindicator, his death, no doubt, created a sensation that might well be called painful and profound. The whole town was moved to grief, many to tears, at the death of the gentle and youthful priest, whose last words spoken to the worthy parish of Athenry were, quote, Tell the people of Athenry how much I love them. End of quote. And I think, Tom, that's the end of me talking about the, the small parts of Athenry. <laughs> Everybody will say, oh, thank goodness. Couldn't have taken another week. It's so miserable and depressing. But, um, you know, it's you, a great story, unfortunately. But you're talking about the penny dinners. You see, there was terrible poverty. And, you yes. know. The, 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 a lot of the victims that caught that, they were living all in one room or confined to, you know, different age groups living in two or three rooms, extreme yes. poverty. So if one yeah. person caught a cold, they all caught a cold. And of course, if they caught an infectious disease, they all caught that as well. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah. that's why the urgency was to isolate these poor patients. But anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's it, Tom. Will we leave it so for this week? Okay. Uh, right. We'll, we'll until next week. Until next week, Tom. Thank yeah. you very Let's much. Go on a day. You betcha. Yeah. Take care, Tom. Yeah. Bye. Rob